2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 <clears throat> begins with the first of seven commandments of things commanded of believers to do. Commands aren't really easy. We talked about this in our teen Sunday school class today. Uh, you read it, it says, this is what you do and do it. It's pretty simple. And the first command is do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And here we have a very nice unequal yoke. I think that is a, a big brown Swiss bull and that's like a Jersey bull or something, but uh, Second Corinthians chapter six, verse 14 is a fascinating text because you can almost trace a development through first and second Corinthians in which you have this seesaw of emphases in first Corinthians, Paul actually references an earlier letter. So there was like one there was like 0.5 Corinthians, which we don't have. First Corinthians, there was probably another letter, the letter of tears, 1.5 Corinthians, and now we have second Corinthians. And at first it seems that Paul had given them a command not to associate with idolaters and the sexually immoral. And then Paul comes back in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, and says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all, meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since you would need to go out of the world. Now, sexual immorality, as we've mentioned in Corinth, is a big issue because this is a town that is built upon maritime trade. And it's this cool kind of like geographic area where it's really thin between two bodies of big bodies of water. And they would take ships and they would bring them to Corinth. And then they would go on this like seven mile journey where they put the ship on this big cart thing and haul it across land, maybe being pulled by animals. Maybe the reference there. And along with all of these sailors just hanging out waiting while the, uh, while the ship went across, came along the world's oldest profession, profession and, and all of the sexual immorality and such. There were probably like something like 29 different gods you could worship in Corinth. There was a lot of things. And so Paul writes first separate from sexual morality then he writes again they like well not like everybody since then you'd have to go out of the world and it seems like this command to separate you know either they took it too seriously and be like oh we're not we're just gonna huddle up by ourselves or more likely they tried to follow it and it just didn't work and then they just gave up which often happens when we set unrealistic expectations then Paul comes back in 2 Corinthians with this advice, do not be unequally yoked. And furthermore, in verse 17, therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them. And so we have this kind of six up where it's like really stringent and they'd be like, well, maybe not this. And then really stringent again. And in some ways, I think what happened in the Corinth church models what happens very often in churches and what, if you look historically, has happened 
in the evangelical church. So the evangelical church came out of a more mainline Protestant tradition. A mainline Protestant tradition that had, according to, well, evangelicals and I would agree, that it got too worldly. You know, it's like indistinguishable from the world. And so then we have people like Billy Graham and, and preachers being like, you need to be born again. And so we separate from that and have the evangelical church with a real pure church. And we are separate and distinct from the world. And then more recently, and this is maybe the church I grew up with, the call is to reach the world so we need to understand the world we need to go to the movie theater and watch the movie so we can understand and talk to and reach out to unbelievers i grew up in an evangelical church that was seeker sensitive we went to the movie theater to understand the culture around us to speak redemptively and transformatively to it and, and, and that's different than, than some of you, a little bit older generation, grew up in a more fundamentalist church. And I think for some of us, we need to read 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and take it very seriously and be like, oh yeah, like not at all the world. Like we need to be engaging the world. And yet, I think for the church today in our present moment, as I've grown and I've gotten to be about 42 years old, I think that in general, we have gotten too cozy with the world around us and that we need to take the call of 2 Corinthians 6, 14 to 7, 1 seriously again. A call that is not like, it's not just a one-off in scripture. James 4, 4, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, ever, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You know, for myself, I, I grew up really believing in the transformative model. Like, we need to be engaging things as, 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 as closely as possible. But over time, I think I found it lacking in many ways. And I think we need to take the call to be separate seriously so that we can be light in the darkness instead of a different shade of the world's gray. All the while realizing that we don't want to get up on the horse only to fall off on the other side. So let's pray. Lord God, I pray that in this verse, in, these, in this text, that you would lead us, you would help us to understand and apply its commands correctly, and that you would give us proper guardrails, all the while taking seriously everything you command and applying it in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so there are seven commands, as I said in this verse, and there are seven promises to go along with the commands. Really cool, and it's a lot to get through, so we are going to get going. So, command number one. Oh, that didn't work right, but that's fine. All right. So command number one, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And if you've heard this verse before, it's probably in the context of marriage. So 
do not be unequally yoked. Do not be like, do not marry an unbeliever. And that's probably a correct like application of the verse, but it's not what the verse is talking about specifically because it's, it's extent is actually much broader than that. When it says, do not be yoked with an unbeliever, what it unequally yoked with an unbeliever, what it means is that we should not be in entangling relationships with people who are not believers. We shouldn't enter into, in fact, uh, as Paul gives the explanation for what partnership, that doesn't show up great. I'm going to fix that next time. Uh, has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness. And we see the kinds of relationships, partnerships, which is uh, marriage, business, fellowship, close friendship, who we spend our time with. What accord has Christ with Belial? By the way, that's weird. Belial. What's that? Okay. Just quick explanation. Belial is simply another name for Satan. You know, Prince of Darkness, Beelzebub. Belial is another name. It literally means worthlessness, son of worthlessness, but it's just used here as another name for Satan. So what accord has Christ with Satan? None. So, so accord, we don't want to get into contracts with unbelievers. And I really think about this, like what accord? Like if we don't want to get into like entangling relationships with unbelievers, every time that I'm downloading some app on my phone from some godless corporation that's going to waste my time and maybe my money, and, and then there's all this like terms and things and I'm just like, oh yeah, I'm going to start reading this. And after about three seconds, I'm like, yeah, there's a lot to read. And so I just click the thing. Yeah. What accord has Christ with Belial? What portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? So what, what portion or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? Portions, agreements, all of these specify the kinds of things we should avoid with unbelievers. Close, intimate ones, entangling ones that lock ourselves into something. Now, what things or people is it talking about? And, and it's really like unbelievers. Do not be unbelievers. Unbelievers. And it'd be really tempting to be like, okay, we don't want to avoid people, but we want to avoid bad things, but it's really like people bring bad things. So, so it's, it's not separating those two and the kinds of things that we should be separate from are lawlessness, darkness, lawlessness, people in situations, ignoring God's law, darkness, things that are just dark. I can't help but think of horror movies or, uh, but, but things that just are dark. What accord has Christ with Belial? Don't be involved with Satan. That should go without saying. What, what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? Now, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 27, 
If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. And so this isn't going to mean that you can't have dinner with someone who's not a believer, but our portion isn't with them. There must always be a certain distance. Now, friendships are built on commonalities. So things we, we hold in common, things we do together. And the most important thing in our life should be Jesus Christ. That is like he is Lord, he's the center, he's the thing we follow. And so if we don't have that in common with someone, there's always going to be a distance, except unless Christ isn't really first or center for us. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? Obviously, we want to avoid idolatry. So, number one, very simple. Do not enter into close fellowship with unbelievers. Maybe entangling relationships might be better than that, but close relationships. Second command. Therefore, second command. Go out from their midst. And very similar, the third command is, and be separate from them, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will welcome you. Uh, commands two and three go together and they say similar things and that Christians are called to be separate in some way from the world and culture around us. So that... We're not going to walk in close partnership, fellowship, and communion with the world. This obviously means, like, first of all, like, don't be unequally yoked. It means the people that we hang out with. But I would include not just the people we hang out with, but the things that we have in our earbuds, the books we read, the podcasts we listen to. And, like, I know this so well, and, and I forget it constantly. There was a time in my life I listened to a lot of political radio, like a lot like five hours a day, which is like four hours and 63 minutes more than anyone needs to listen to. Um, and, and, that, and that affected how I acted, how I thought about the world, the, the language I use, my, my outrage at different things and, and the things I thought about. And just like, like I just was surrounding myself with influence for a vast amount of time. Like five hours is a lot of time. Like think of the things you could learn in five hours a day. Like I was reading electric meters at the time. So I was just walking around reading, listening to stuff. It, it's just, it's, it's not good. Now this command, these commands go out from their midst, goes beyond the first command. The first command is like, don't enter into entangling relationships. And this is command like, like leave them, get out, go, don't stay there. So I guess the only solution is that we're packing up the buggy <laughs> and we are headed for Lancaster County. That might be weird, Al Yankovic. So, like, like, this is literally, like, like, like this, this, this is an interpretation of this exact verse. And it makes me think, like, like uh, to deal seriously, like, like, this is their serious looking at this verse. And so, so, 
why not, as tempting as it is sometimes whenever I, I think about how much time I waste on my phone, go out and be separate. So I think we need to, two things here, understand what the call to be separate is based on, and then think of a few limits of separation. So the basis of separation is, so what agreement has the temple of God with idols for we are the temple of the living God. And this is the great promise. This is like the hope of the gospel, the temple of the living God, that Jesus Christ saves us in such a way that he cleanses us, makes us holy, so God lives in us. So that if only we just trust in Jesus Christ, God makes his home with us in such a way that we are the temple of the living God, the temple of the Holy Spirit, so that we must separate ourselves from sin and darkness and idolatry. Now, Paul, as he says this, buttresses his argument with uh, a bunch of Old Testament texts. And so we see here this, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people, which comes from Leviticus Chapter 26, 11, 12 is a really similar verse in Ezekiel 37, 27. And, and we see like, like the temple is a very special place in the Old Testament. If you read through Leviticus, you almost like your eyes glaze over. I don't know if you, anyone in Bible reading plan going through Leviticus, your eyes, oh my goodness. Like why do they have to have so many rules about the temple? This is, this is craziness. Like, like the priest, if he touches this, if he like goes, he's, there's a funeral and then he was like there and then he has to like sit out for seven days and offer a bull and the, the blood spilt and there and then made atonement on the mercy seat and on and on. And, it, and, and it's like all of this, the temple is pointing to the fact that one day the temple's curtain will be ripped, that God will dwell with his people, and that they will be, and we will be, temples of the Holy Spirit, not so that we dress weird or not eat unclean things, but that we be morally pure to be proper dwelling places of God. The temple was so serious and it said we're dwelling places of God and, and we don't think about the temple of like just the outside of the temple but the dwelling place of God the holy of holies the place in the old covenant where the, only the high priest would go once a year not without taking blood so the people that God dwells with should be distinct not by outward clothes and rules, but by the transforming power of the Holy Spirit to live a life set apart from the moral defilements of this world. Be separate. You know, one of the awesome things about certain like weird Christian groups is that you know them when you see them. So, you walk into a store and you know a Hutterite when you see him. Suspenders, beard. So I, I can't do the accent, but uh, 
has a Hutterite accent. You know a nun when you see a nun, you know, in their, in their habit. And yet, this isn't talking about how we dress to be set apart, but our characters in Christ should be so distinct that people would see it. As obvious as a Hutterite or a nun or even an Amish with those cool beards. Be separate. All right, it's a bit of a, a scary drive here. Uh, have you guys ever driven along big cliffs? I've done so in Nepal, which is like insane. You're in like the biggest mountains in the world. Like you just look down, it's like you can't see the bottom. It's like, uh, I'm gonna have a long time to think about my death as I go careening off this thing. It's like, I'm going, ah, ah. <laughs> <coughs> and we're commanded, like, like, go on the road to be separate, to be distinct. And yet, like, there are some, like, like, there's danger over here because we don't want to be so separatistic that we're ignoring all of the other things the Bible says. So, so we want to get, as we say, be separate, be distinct. That's the command of the text. But we want to get up some proper guardrails here, okay? Because we don't want to go off the edge. Guardrail number one is an understanding of culture. Uh, when I went to Nepal... Like the churches, they were very Nepalese, but, but in some ways there, there were things that like annoyed me because it's like, here's the preacher. And you know, what does the preacher wear in Nepal? He wears like a suit and tie, just like, because that's what preachers do. <laughs> Although that's not like, that's not their culture. They're just copying what they see on TV. And, and we don't want to say to be separate isn't like, there isn't like a Christian culture and we don't want to like, we want to be careful to not be like, okay, you know, you need to be distinct now and like dress like we dress. Understanding that to be separate means moral purity and has nothing to do with clothes apart from modesty, which was my side note here. Now, Christianity is going to change how anyone relates to their culture around them. I am a stranger in my own culture many days. But this verse is calling us to moral purity and not cultural purity, adopting a certain culture. Secondly, marriage. Uh, no divorce because they're an unbeliever. It says very clearly, 1 Corinthians 7.13, if any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. Okay, that's simple. If you're reading this, it'd be separate. Be like, oh, I can finally get rid of my husband. No, sorry, I can't help you. <laughs> casual relationships or, or common dealings with the world. I needed it to be short enough. I know casual relationships doesn't sound like great, but again, fever. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 27. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you're disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the grounds of conscience. 
It's like, like Paul is fine with you going and eating with people. There are many relationships that are just great to have, to have at a certain distance. And like that's what I'm saying. Those are fine, fine to eat with people, as long as we aren't into entangling relationships where it is drawing us into sinful things, even subtly. It's very interesting, like both the marriage and the, the relationship thing, like those were guardrails already in place in 1 Corinthians before Paul wrote to them this in 2 Corinthians. And so this isn't interpreting you know, going outside of what Paul, Paul means. He's just correcting. So we're getting the right thing. And fourth, obviously is mission is that we are called to go into all the world, to go into all the world. So we're called to be distinct and to go into all the world. So we must be distinct in a way, paradoxically that draws people to us so that we can show them the love of Jesus Christ in a way that does not partner with unbelief. So remember the guardrails, keep the guardrails, but follow God's commands. All right, where were we? There were seven commands. I've taken way too much time. The rest will go really fast. So do not enter into close fellowship with unbelievers. We must actively separate from close fellowship with unbelievers with the proper guardrails and Let's keep going. Okay, go out from their midst, be separate. Fourth, touch no unclean thing. Now, this is based on the fact that we are the temple. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't have snakes for pets. Although I do think it's a little weird, Amanda. <laughs> the snakes are fine. But what we should avoid touching is being in close contact with moral evil. It's amazing how quickly that people get used to sinful situations. It's really easy to look down on Christians having slave auctions. But I suspect in the future they would have the same shock about a Christian watching Game of Thrones or reading Fifty Shades of Grey. Don't even touch it. Five. So since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body. That is any defilement on the outside, things that we, we do. That is like going to the temple or, or being in contact, you know, sexual immorality, like having adultery, like bodily. And cleanse ourselves, six, from everything spirit in the inner man. So that would be lusting after a woman or not loving God or loving our neighbor as we're called to. And finally, seven, the seventh command, bringing holiness to completion. Or you could translate that holiness to perfection in the fear of God, which is said, like the call is to be like Jesus Christ, who was perfect in himself. Now, that doesn't mean that anyone is going to be perfect in this life. In fact, it says if we say we have no sin, we, have, we make ourselves a liar. But our aim is always, always 
holiness in God, body and soul. And so we can never like, like rest be like, oh yeah, I'm like holy enough now. And they're like, no, don't even touch it. Continue to strive for that. And it's amazing when you, when you strive for that, instead of like being like a pharisaical holiness where you're like, looking at well, those guys aren't, you know, quite measuring up to my thing. Often what I've found in my life is that, you know, I just see more of the depth of how far away I am for God and I have more compassion on people who struggle in different ways than me, but we're all just aiming in the same direction, which is all we're called to do. So the awesome thing is, is that I get to, I get to end on a better note because why we do these things isn't just like, Hey, do better guys. It's like, no, we have these promises, these precious promises. That all the while, when we step out and walk in this little step, more obedience to be set apart for God, we have all of these promises of God to give us greater joy and intimacy with him. So first recap, do not enter into close fellowship with unbelievers. We must actively separate from close fellowship with unbelievers. We must aim for perfect holiness, body and spirit. And we can do this by trusting in God's promises. This is really what, what like living by faith is. It's trusting God's promises are real and active and working day by day, moment by moment. And there are seven promises in this short text. So we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And, 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 and in this, there's almost a circular logic. And, and this is kind of how sanctification works is that in salvation, God calls us his children. And then as we step out into obedience, we get to feel God's presence and his dwelling and, and his walking among us and his being as God, our being as people more and more. In the same way, in times if we turn away from God, we get to feel that less. Now, it doesn't mean that like it undercuts it or things, but, but God's promises always lead us further into fellowship. Therefore, Go out from their midst, be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then, promise number five, I will welcome you. This is a promise from Ezekiel 20, 34. And how sweet it is. And this is, this is something really sweet about the Christian life because we, we often think about the parable of the prodigal son as like that's the story of like when you first come to Christ. But Paul, speaking to Christians here, says like, no, no, like, this is a promise that constantly happens that when we like, you know, are like being disobedient in some area, it's like, no, no matter how, like how small that when we turn back to God, when we come back to him, he welcomes us again with the intimate hug and fellowship of the father again, embracing us, even when we've been prodigal and so when we turn to him, he welcomes us back with joy. And that's just an experience. Like I've experienced this in my life, like thousands of times. It's like, I'm sitting there angry with my wife. 
unjustly, and then I finally was like, oh man, maybe I should like repent for the things I'm wrong, and then like, and then finally like, boom, I I I, I feel like the wholeness in God again. I, I'm welcomed back. Eighteen, and finally, I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons, and seven, and daughters. To me, I made that into two to make it seven. I know it's cheating a little bit. <laughs> this promise from Second Samuel seven fourteen, and notice how it intensifies the promise. It's first like I'll be your God, and so to welcome, and then finally the intimacy of father, sons, and daughters, and so that we're pulled into greater intimacy with God. And this is just simply. Are you lacking in intimacy with God? And if you're lacking in intimacy with God, like you have to think like, is there something that I need to separate from in my life? Is there an uncleanliness body or soul that I need to put away? And, and really, like, this is the Christian life. And putting away and feeling God's welcome again when the prodigal returns and him being a father to us. And finally, that we would truly be and feel sons and daughters. Since we have these promises, beloved, beloved, there's a little bit, beloved, Loved of God, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Since we have these promises, let's not be stuck in our spiritual growth, but do maybe the hard thing, trusting the promises of God, bringing holiness to completion. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, your displeasure is a terrible thing, but your promises are so great. I pray that by faith we would trust them day by day, moment by moment. Trust in your fatherhood, trust in your being our God, trust in us being called sons and daughters, being welcomed back so that we could put to death every defilement, trusting in your ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.